Welcome to Encounter. This is a podcast and radio show where we seek to encounter Christ, culture, and community. And in tonight's episode, we, meaning Joe, Costa, and I, sit down and talk about Jonah. So Joe and I have been studying this book intensely over the past few weeks, and we have learned so much, and we want to convey some of that information to you tonight through our study of the Word. So here is our bold assumption in tonight's episode. You do not correctly understand the book of Jonah. So walk through that assumption with us and prove us wrong. Tonight we talk about whether Jonah was figurative or literal, how Jonah is an archetype for Jesus Christ as well as the prodigal son, and the nature of our rebellion against God and what the consequences of that are. So in this Gospel Fluent Conversation, we go over some of the ways that Jonah is not normally discussed from the pulpit, and we hope that you are blessed by our study of the Word tonight. And also, uh, we mentioned this at the end of the episode, but I do want to make sure you hear this. We have been really blessed by the opportunity to talk to certain people. Um, Please go back and listen to Pastor Josh Lawrence's episode where he talks about his Calvary Chapel plant in Kenya, Eldorat, Kenya. And uh, if you are any way moved by his evangelism and his witnessing and his preaching to that population and the starving children that he's ministering to, please go to the website that we're going to attach to this podcast as well and donate so that he can feed kids who need water and living water. And also we're having Pastor Chuck Thornley on soon um, to discuss and work through the 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 nasty waters of Roe v. Wade, which is our biggest national controversy that's come about in the past few years. So we're going to be talking about that and how we can wade through those waters in a way that is Christ-centered and not political party-centered. So please stay tuned. And tonight, we pray that this episode and our conversations about Jonah, uh, we pray that they bless you immensely. sitting in my basement recording a podcast where we're going to talk about a book of the Bible. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I feel like- This is the first one we've done, which is a little sad, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this one, I, for some reason, I don't know, maybe it's just because of how my week is going or like, you know, I just feel really blessed right now to talk about this book. And- The fact that people are going to be tuning into this is just so cool. So for this, because we're doing this book for the Young Adults Bible Study, when I was doing my study of it, um, I was just very blessed by what God's been teaching me in this book. And also, it just reinforced how alive the Bible is because three or four years ago, I did a teaching for an hour and I studied this book extensively. And I am learning completely new things, mm-hmm. yeah. like not even in the realm of what I taught on before, sure. where I'm like, oh, if I could go back, I would have hit different points. Right, you right, know? right. But it's just... And then three years from now, it's going to be a whole yeah. different thing. Yeah. And yeah. So tonight we're going to be discussing and looking at the arc of Jonah in the book of Jonah. So this book is, 
so unique. So let's talk about what, why it's unique first. Um, we know generally when we think of, what do you think about in your non-biblical secular mind when you think of Jonah? The fish. Yeah, the fish. Yeah. Or less sophisticated, the whale, whale. right? Because okay. yeah, that's what yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. depicts it as. And I looked at my daughter's, what is it called? Picture Bible. Mm-hmm. She has a children's Bible yeah. and, and it has like, it's just a giant whale. Like yeah. it looks like a blue beluga whale. Okay. You know, they're yeah. very specific about it. And what's it, a couple of things that are interesting about Jonah itself, which I think are pretty cool that if you specifically look at the lens of the genre of literature, this is, this is considered, you know, is in the middle of the, the prophetic books, mm-hmm. right? So this is in the middle of Micah and, and Hosea. And you look at what, it went the way it's grouped in the Bible. And what's really interesting about the way this starts out is it says, Jonah received a word of the Lord. And that's how Micah starts out, right? Yeah. But this yep. is not a prophetic book. This is a book about a prophet. Right. So almost like Daniel, but Daniel does have prophecy in there. Yes. It takes a while to get there. Yes. But he does have prophecy in there. But it does have that narrative sense. It does. It has where, a narrative yeah, sense. Yeah. And But that's it's like interesting because the way it... It starts off, you know, okay, so this is a, it, it tricks you, you know, it leads yeah. you down one literary narrative and then it brings you to another. And so this is a story of a prophet's rebelling against God. I mean, I don't want to summarize the main theme because there's probably five we can pull out tonight, but it's it's a story, it's a narrative of a prophet who's running away from the prophecy that he's supposed to deliver. Mm-hmm. And that's the actual literary, uh, literary, not literary. Literal narrative. <laughs> I got it. I got it. <laughs> Didn't know what you were yeah. looking at me. Yeah, like you're looking at me like I had a stroke. Um, that's the uh, literal narrative that we see here. But a couple of things that I, we can kind of address right off the bat. And this is one that I go back and forth on as, Joe, do you believe that Jonah was a is a literal story or some sort of analogy? Uh, you mean every detail of it or the Not- entirety of the book? That's where that's where it gets murky. That's what it's not like one or the other. Because what are the things that let's go through this? What are the things that point towards it being literal? A lit- the whole story being literal. The, uh, the account of the history and the kings and um, the destinations and the and yeah, Second it, Kings talking about right, 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 it and yeah. re- reaffirming the kings that are yeah, mentioned. Jonah in the being time period. Yeah, the, Jonah being the books. son of right. Amatai, Amatai, whatever yeah. his name is. Yeah. So. The fact that they identify his father, he's a so the literal aspect points towards the fact that Jonah was a real person because it talks about the time period, the setting, and that he was of the of a certain person. And especially if you're listed in Kings, like Kings and, and Chronicles, they were literally just like they're not the most fun to read because they're literally just like short snippets of like here's this quick synopsis of this real person's life. Yeah, and then on to the next person. You know, it's like here's how he rose, failed, next person. And that's like a list, constantly a list of those. Like Chronicles is literally, they're just chronicling what's going on. Like, yeah. So it's not, it's, if you're in those books, it's like, those are very historically accurate. Yes. Yeah. And, and it does talk about in Second Kings 14, I believe. Yeah, 1425. That it tells us that yeah, he was during the reign of the King Jeroboam II and that he strengthened the northern border of Israel mm-hmm. with his prophecy. So- Right. That would, Which Amos and Hosea disagree with. That he'd strengthened it? No. So Jonah tells uh, Jeroboam that he's going to be in, in – he's going to have the Lord's favor. And Amos and Hosea disagree with that. And he's okay. not going to have the Lord's favor. So yeah. right, right, off, right off the bat, when they're, Jonah also doesn't have a 
big intro. There's no real back, in, back no. outside of like his, he's the son of Amitai. Like that's the only intro he's given and everybody would have known who he was. Mm. You know, like this is the guy, this is the skeptical prophet. Yeah, you feel like you're jumping in the middle of a conversation. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. What's that called in, in Greek? Or, in uh, media, right? In media, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're jumping in and you get, okay, so that's the literal side. Now, the figurative side, which would be, it's, I don't know really if use the word satire, um, because Tim Mackey from the Bible Project calls it, he, uh, he sends a picture of both sides, satire, parody. He yeah, I don't it, think he points to which one. No, like, he doesn't. It's just a type of, yeah. But he's one of those guys that makes you believe both sides at the same time. Yeah, so you're like, and okay, well, so, where do you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so he calls it the Saturday Night Live method. So okay. he, and I, these are correct assumptions about the book. So they're, they do have some generic things where they have like the stereotypical characters that don't behave like they're supposed to. So you right. have the pagan blatantly. sailors right. blatantly are the ones who pray. Jonah the prophet mm-hmm. blatantly running away from God. And so you see these really big, larger-than-life characters, a lot of details left out um, that would help reinforce its historicity. Yeah. But they're left out anyway. So he said that you can make a case for that. But I, I tend to think that it's it's both. I think it's both too. I think yeah. it's, like, uh, it's like them leaving the name of Pharaoh out. Mm-hmm. That the, the Jews were really slaves in Egypt under Pharaoh, and they knew exactly what name it was, but they left it out intentionally. Because he was Pharaoh, he's going to be. They were going to typify him later, and he's going to be a type of evil. Mm. You know, so in the same way that the book of Hebrews, we believe they left out the the author of that book, so that it would be. It didn't matter who was writing it. Like, Correct. So it intentionally yeah. left the writer of Hebrews out. Yeah. Because it wasn't about the author. It was mm-hmm. this is a Jesus book is greater than to, every. Whoever's writing this book, he's greater than to yeah yeah, and so I, maybe a lot of the reasons why they left out a lot of the details were intentional, and why they had large. So all I can say for sure is that the way it's written was intentionally designed by God. Yeah. So yeah. I whether it's I I really doesn't change my interpretation of it whether it's literal or not. Even though I do tend to lean on literal, I do. Yeah, I would I tend I lean on literal because. Well, yeah, like I said, I, I lean on both. They can be literal, and you can write, a, you can experience something happening in life, and then write it creatively and write it satir, satirically. Is that a word? Yeah. You know what I mean? And and you know to get a full theme of what really happened, and but it really actually happened in life. Yeah. You know, so it's like you, they can be both at the same time. I don't think they have to be one or the other. I don't think so either. I just think, I think that society wants us to make it yes. one or the other. Because if you deny, if you say it was was literal, then you're saying that miracles can happen. And if you say that, it's, which they can, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you, but if you're saying that it's figurative, you're almost conceding that it couldn't have happened that way. Which means that generally you're making the theological statement that miracles don't happen like that. Like one point they made on that someone made on Tuesday was that the fish said it was prepared by God. So. Yeah. I just, as a, when my dad was a marine biologist, like one of the conversations that was always had when they would talk about this book would be like, well, there was a fish that you heard about that guy who swallowed a Japanese sailor and he yeah, spit yeah, him yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, okay. Or I like, mean, I didn't know. Komodo dragons that. now were swallowing like, yeah. people. Left, you know, it's like. Yeah, no, I just don't. I saw Ace Ventura crawl out of the rhino's butt in that <laughs> movie. So I don't, I, I, those conversations don't really concern me. If God prepared the fish, I don't need to. I don't need right, to. Right. There's also it. a talking donkey. You know, it's like, yeah. but that was used for that moment in time. And I, yeah, true. There's Good not point. been talking animals since. You know? Yeah. It's like, you know, so. Yeah, and I don't think that I, although it is good that the ark is there, that the one that's in, you said Tennessee. Yeah, or, yeah. Uh, wherever it is, I don't need to see that to just trust that it's, that's probably everything fit.
you know. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. So it's the same deal with this. It's yeah. like, but I, I mean, the little things do help that it's yeah, like it it's not two of every single species, it's kinds, you know. So they didn't get a husky and they didn't get yeah. a, a pit bull, and they just got a wolf. That was it. Just one, you know, they didn't get like it was like one cat. It was like one kind, mm. you know? So yeah. It was like, and then from there, it's just, you get other kinds of cats and stuff. Yeah, so all those things do help. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it's like, if it's written, then, then it happens. Yeah. So for this, just for the listeners who are listening, where it sounds like we both fall on is, it was definitely, a, there, I don't know how you can get away from the fact that Jonah wasn't a real person at some point, because he's referenced by Jesus in Second Kings and Jonah as a real person, as yeah. the son of a person. Mm-hmm. So I do believe he did exist. I believe that he was swallowed by the whale. Um, and I do believe he was spit out and he delivered this prophecy and that prophecy is backed. And the reception of that prophecy was backed by historical evidence and Yeah, and I think the creativity falls in the fact like, um, for example, Jonah was a real person. And they left out the creativity falls in the in, in the side where like they left out a lot of details because you knew exactly who that he was talking about. Yeah. If you've read Second King, like you know exactly who this this guy is. So they intentionally leave that out because it it, it was allowed for. You know, mm-hmm. you're expecting your audience to know exactly who they're talking about. Yeah, which I think would have shocked them because this is also the first. This is really the first time. Outside of like um, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Amos, they mention it briefly, but this is the first time a prophet's called to go outside the land of Israel and go and go okay. and go to a Gentile nation. So the fact that the mentioning the, the description of who Jonah is is very brief. He's literally just the son of of what's it, what's his name? The son Amittai. of Amittai. Amittai, yeah. So he's the son of Amittai. That's the only description you get because they would have known who he was. They would have known his background. They would have known that he supported Jeroboam's uh, aggressive military oppression to expand the borders, right? So they wouldn't know how much of a nationalist he was. Um, and but at the same time, that's who God chooses to go reach the Gentiles. Mm. So this would have blown their mind. Yeah, like yeah, that's a good point. I didn't know it was the first time that. that well, so started. like so uh, so Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah, uh, Amos, they they reference prophecy about other nations, but not they're not going out to other nations and calling them to repent. This is gotcha. the first time that that, that happens. Yeah, and, so and he's a very odd character to choose to do that because he was the one who was supporting Jeroboam when Amos wasn't and Hosea wasn't, and he was supporting him saying, like, no, expand our, our, our borders. Like, you know, make it more... He was a nationalist. That's, my, he's, that's what it would have been modern day. Okay. Yeah, and I think... The Matthew twelve forty, just to read the reference, which I think is important for a few reasons. We'll talk about what they are. So it's Jesus. For as Jonah, Jesus said this. That's my. I didn't. I put that inside the quotation marks. <laughs> Jesus said, "For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, to the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights." So uh, I was reading both sides, and and the figurative side still argues that there's sometimes Jesus references things that were fictional in the Old Testament. And so it could still be figurative. But for me, this is like, I, Jesus doesn't usually, he usually clarifies every time when he's speaking figuratively, when he's speaking literally. And he didn't clarify that this was like a literal, ref, a figurative reference to the Old Testament. And it's, he was comparing yeah. it, his, what we know from historical evidence that he um, was dead for three days and three nights. And then he rose. Yeah, so, well, not that, but right, right, the next verse after that, he's speaking of it as a historical fact of what, like, so he's speaking to the Jews, and he's saying, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment 
with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Mm. So he, he goes on to say like, because that actually happened, this is why now in the judgment, they're going to be telling Israel to repent. Mm. You know, so he, the very next verse, he's making it seem like it was very real. And you can imagine, well, we know that Jesus knows he's omniscient and he knows everything. So yeah. he knows that in the 21st century, people will be critiquing this story as the, the thing that would make the Bible seem ridiculous. You, you really know, think this is the thing? This is one of them, yeah. I don't think- I, This is the only one I've ever been accused of for believing a stupid book in the Bible by adults. Like, you believe the fish thing, you know? See, I don't, I mean, I, I was fortunate enough to like, I've actually like been around whales that could absolutely swallow me. And whether it was a fish or whale, but regardless. But I'm just saying, it's like, that doesn't seem that ridiculous. Uh, uh, a blue whale, uh, you know, could absolutely swallow me. <laughs> but something like, I've never seen a donkey talk one time in my life. Like, you know, it's like, that I haven't even seen. There's not even a... They probably don't even know that happens. If you don't read your Bible, that's probably not the thing they're pulling yeah, out. Yeah, I guess. I guess, yeah, you don't learn that really in Sunday school. Like, and I think that because we've... Because we, in any of the children's Bibles that you read or any children's depiction of this in VeggieTales, like the VeggieTales version mm-hmm. of this, they never show that Jonah is still angry at God after everything and that he's still – and he's mad at God for right. his will yep. uh, sparing yep. uh, Nineveh. And so they never really give you the full picture, so they boil it down to the, the whole thing being about the whale. And you almost think like – not that I think that's satanic influence, but you do think that – I don't think the whale is the main point. The whale no, is just, just a pawn. And I that think God part used. of that is because when people read the New Testament, like you just read twelve forty, and they're like, it reinfor- again mentions the whale as like a as a foreshadow of to the resurrection. Mm. So that's another it, like it it reinforces the whale again. But right after that, like I just read, he talks about Nineveh's repenting, and you know, so he goes on to talk about the other part. So it's like people only people remember. Uh, Matthew chapter twelve verse forty, but they don't remember forty one. Yeah, so it's like so, so it reinforces it's it's a continuous like reinforcing of the the fish. So that points that's enough evidence for me, regardless of everything we've said so far, that this is this is a literal thing. This is a literal story. The mm-hmm. Matthew twelve forty because I take the words of Jesus very seriously, not that any more seriously than the rest of the Bible, but the tone of Jesus yeah. and his purpose of saying that mm-hmm. and. I just have a hard time believing he would be quoting a fictional story yeah. to describe his literal death resurrection. And uh, I don't want to bring this up again, but I'm going to. If you go to Israel, no. <laughs> if, no, if you go to Joppa today, Joppa, Jaffa, same thing. If you go there today, they're very proud of the fact that that port is still there. The port, that, the port that Jonah left from is still there. Really? Yeah, in Joppa. So, I mean, you can like barely see. I mean, you can see it. But you can like barely see how they, I mean they know it was a port. I'm not an archaeologist, so to me I'm like, okay, I'll trust you guys. You know, but it looks like, some like rocks. Yeah, <laughs> but they're like, no, this was the port. I'm like, okay, like, but and they're proud of it, you know. So they think it was a very literal. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're trying to discredit the everything, it seems like Jesus with the foreknowledge would be like, this is real. This is my book. This is a part of the Old Testament. Like, well, one of the things that, that we often talk about is the canon of the Bible, which is just basically the collection of the books that compile to be called the Bible. And originally, the Bible was considered Bibles. It was it was a comp- compilation of many books. It w- it wasn't considered like one work, and then it migrated to be one work with smaller books in it. And you know, you think how now that we have this one book, it's it's kind of mind blowing to even consider how these were actually compiled, you know, and, and how they were put together. So when you're looking at 
Matthew and you see with Jesus, a lot of what we can know for sure is Old Testament canon and belongs there is when Jesus quotes it. So we look at most of the writings of David, Jesus quotes. We look at almost, I think every single book in the Pentateuch, Jesus quotes. You know, the Psalms, yeah, the Proverbs, yeah. mm-hmm. um, he quotes the prophets. And so most of the Old Testament canon that we have, uh, we know for sure is inspired scripture because Jesus quotes it. So that standard alone makes Jonah integral to the Old Testament. Yeah, and I just Googled out of curiosity, I probably should have did this beforehand, but in the non-canonical, so not in the apocryphal books, so the ones that aren't, they were history, like Second Maccabee, stuff like that, they're history, but they're not inspired. Um, they also mentioned Jonah as well as a historical mm. fact. So even in things that, you know, so that's good to know. That's what the common Jew was thinking back then, that, yeah, Jonah happened. Yeah. So. And that's, that's also interesting, like, too, for a couple of times when we were reading Hebrews, it was, if it's not mentioned sometimes, it's because the writer assumed everyone knew it. Like you're saying Jonah, like, they, they yeah. would have assumed they knew Jonah and his history and his right. family. All they had to do was mention his name. Oh, got it. Oh, you are talking about, yeah. Which speaks volumes yeah. to the authenticity of what's missing. Right. And it speaks volumes to the character of the people, that how much they were in God's word. Yeah. That they would just know it? Yeah. I mean, Jonah would be a main, like, you know what I mean? At that point, he was really only mentioned in Second Kings. And it was like one or two lines. But that's how much they knew, like, their history and their culture and God's yeah. word. Yeah, I'll never, and it's embarrassing. I'm like, I'm trying to remember the name of the woman. But when I, when my, uh, someone I knew had, had uh, cancer, they were told me, like, oh, I'm praying for them because I, I want them to be uh, healed like this woman in the Bible, and then I named them, and I was like, they just, yeah, and I was like, who is that person? I just it was such an obscure reference, and yeah. it was such a quick reference in the New Testament, mm-hmm. and I, it was one of those like right. you know, shameful moments, and I can't even recall her name now. I mean, dude, I mean that's ridiculous to think. There's so many characters in the Bible, you know. It's like, yeah, I know, but what it are you was, gonna say? Like, you haven't read Second Kings chapter thirteen? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but the reference was like, I want to, I want to pray the prayer of whatever it was, oh, okay, uh, Elisha yeah, or yeah. whatever, um, and I was like, oh, cool, like what was that prayer? We've established that we're right, and he's—it's literal. Um, just kidding, but we've you know kind of set the ground for what this what this looks like, especially for one thing that I was blown away by. So we shift a little bit to like the meaning of some of the important parts and the, the cities in here. So uh, just a quick some some quick facts about Nineveh. So Nineveh, the place that Jonah was called to go to. Just describing it helps me understand the purpose and the meaning of why Jonah was called to go there at that time, which this is, so this is lesson number one for me from the background. Mm-hmm. So Nineveh was at a weak point politically, and I don't want to go too far into the background, but there was a king and when he died, it just left the state of Nineveh in, in political array or disarray where they Which did is common amongst every any time a king or president dies, it's like, yeah. oh, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And so there was a generation before and after Jonah where it was it Nineveh was strong, and a generation after this, it's at its strongest. And so right when Jonah is alive, there's political turmoil, and Jesus is, uh, well, God is sending Jonah in to deliver a message to them. And what 
makes sense to me when I know that background that Nineveh was weaker than it had been at this time, as it's the one of the centers of one of the strongest empires in the world, or the strongest mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, was that when he gave this message, I was confused. The message was basically repent and turn away from your your sin, or or judgment's coming. And that f- five word um, prophecy, I don't understand why the whole city would fall into ruins and, and just be like, you're right, we need to, you know, and it says that it was received really well. It would make sense if there's instability and someone's coming and delivering a prophecy from a God that they've never heard of. And they're like that. They're looking for any answers. Their hearts were receptive. Yeah. So what that makes me believe too, and we pray this often on Sundays. I don't know if you've, uh, if anybody listening has been a part of like a any sort of team that serves on a Sunday morning, whether it's like a welcoming team or a Sunday school or you're teaching or you're on the worship team is we are, the prayer that I often hear is like God soften the hearts of the people before they come. Mm-hmm. And to see that in the Bible with Jonah, where God, Jonah did not know that God was actively softening the hearts of the people of Nineveh before he sent them. And he was saying, God, um, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do this, which is sometimes how we feel when we're, talking to someone new and outside your comfort zone or your teaching and to trust that God has the heart of the person who's walking through in better hands than you could ever have. It should give us like confidence when we're talking to people. And yeah. And to know that he loves them more than you do. Way more. Yeah. Right. So it's like he wants it more than you do. Yeah. So, and so like that should be an incredible encouragement to people who are serving in a church body where take the load off of your shoulders and just do the stinking simple thing is mm-hmm. just share the gospel and God's going to take care of their hearts. And their response is not our responsibility. Like our responsibility is just to obey and we got to trust the Holy Spirit. We got to trust God and, and you know, they can squash the spirit, but eventually that's up to them. You know, it's, and it's narcissistic to think otherwise. Right, yeah, really, at, at, its, at its core, it really is narcissistic. To... Yeah, so if God can take one of the strongest centers of the biggest nation that was against Israel in history and weaken it just so that one measly prophet, that because is, is my opinion, is one of the weaker people in the Bible from what we know about him. Who? We about Jonah. Did, yeah, uh, yeah. I just think he just reminds me of like just a sweaty I, nerd. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't Yeah, I don't know if weaker is the word. I would say maybe, uh, hmm, maybe mo- like, there's like no moments of strength. Yeah, I guess it is weaker, but I'm like, um, most I, I, like confused at like who he thought God was and the purpose of everything to what he had to learn. Like, at least record, like what we see, like, you know. There could have been another guy named Steve that was worse, you know. But like yeah. from what we have recorded, like it just like it just seems like he was the most. Yeah, I guess you can use weaker. But for um, what we know about him, yeah, probably, yeah, he's yeah. an awesome dude before and after. But the account of what we get about yeah. him seems like he makes a lot of wrong decisions and not a lot of right ones. And and I, but I think that's not what I'm what I'm trying to say is I think that's not steeped in weakness. I think that's steeped in misguided ideologies. Yeah, theologies and theologies. Yeah, both. Like so, he doesn't know who God is, and he really like. He clearly elevates his his nation and his nationalism, his patriotism, whatever you want to call it. He elevates that. He thinks being Jewish, being Hebrew, is at its core. That's what it means. He, he he does him following God is just doing church. If I just do church, we're good. Yeah. So when God calls him to actually, you know, this is a metaphor for the gospel, like live out the gospel. He's like this just can't be right. This can't, this seems so, 
Uh, what I was telling you is like, I feel like he's a, in the New Testament, he's Saul. I mean, he's a lot of people in the New Testament. I mean, even jo- even Jesus compares himself to Jonah. He's the better Jonah. But um, I think he's a lot like Peter in his misguided attitude and, you know, I'm better than everybody else. But I think he's a lot like Saul where he thought his ideology was so right, which is why he spoke to Jeroboam and said, like, no, yeah, expand. Mm. You know, it's like, it's all about Israel. We're the apple of God's eye. You know, we're the, you know. So I think it was so much of that that he couldn't understand why God was saying what he was saying. That's that's what I think a lot. So I think a lot of it is like, um, I, he obviously rebelled. You know, he went in the exact opposite direction that God told him to go to. God told him to go on land. He went on sea. He did everything backwards. But I think it was steeped in like, God can't be calling me to like that. That doesn't that doesn't make sense to the character to the God that I've imagined and who I've made out God to be. That can't be what He's telling me to do. Mm. Why would we? He, there are enemies, and and later they come and attack the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. So, like they're just. I think it's a lot of it is steeped in that, and so it is rebellion, but rebellion based on just false ideologies that like a very. Zionist, Israeli, pharisaical. It's Israel and no one. You know, like, I think that's where it comes from. Yes, I, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm just yeah. thinking, like, because uh, I just called him really weak and now I'm trying to process through the how, the, how Christ said that he was he's the better Jonah. Like, what what's Christ like about him? Obviously, the three-day analogy, the idea of being given a word that's going to be universally applied to, to, to like, gen- the prophecy. Reaching, yeah, reaching to Gentiles. Gentiles uh, being sacrificed in this... Well, you know, in the sea, being sent overboard. Breaking down the Israeli complex to the Israeli covenant to a Gentile covenant. Not right. just covenant, yeah. but, yeah. Uh, you know, breaking it down to, out, to outside of Israeli that, borders, which right. is what you're talking about. Which the first. he couldn't even fathom. You know, it's like, yeah, so I don't know. That's, I, just, I think that's a huge part of it that, that can't go overlooked because, like, a lot of that is, I mean, we do that. It's like, you know, for praying, it's like, could he really want, does he really want, like, you know, does he really, that feels like it's not. But, you know, it, it's being sensitive to the spirit, which I think at this point he he had to learn from the other people. Mm. He had to learn from the opposite people that he, like, God wanted him to go speak to these heathens. And through the whole storm, the heathens had to tell him who his God was. You know, it's like, so it was, it was the exact opposite of what they originally sent him out to do. That's the same idea of, like, right now, whoever, um, like, imagine... You're standing in line in heaven, right? I know this isn't theological, but like you're you're waiting, <laughs> you're just like a you're you're waiting outside. You're in heaven, like you just yeah. inside, and you look around, and you see like Paul. Like, All right, that makes sense. Like Matthew, that makes sense. And yeah. You see like Stalin. You're like, what? Oh yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And you just maybe Christ reached him in the last five yeah. seconds, and he belongs the same amount you do. Mm-hmm. So that's what Jonah's learning. You know, like God didn't come in just for the Israelites. Yeah. He's eventually going to be sending a son that's going to be. Saving everyone, the Gentiles, even the people that you hate and you want mm-hmm. don't, and you can't even understand why you're doing it. Yeah, uh, in the in that book I just read on heaven, it was a quote like this by Randy Alcorn. He, he made some sort of quote. It was like, I think one of the biggest outside of God's majesty and glory and everything like that. He said, I think one of the biggest surprises we'll see on the new earth is that there's going to be a lot of good people in hell and a lot of bad people in heaven that we mm-hmm. that we thought it would be, the, you know. Yeah, and it's like, wow, we could, you know. Yeah, one because it really does only come down to your faith in Christ. That's it. Yeah, there's only two types of people in the world. Yeah, those in Christ and that aren't exactly. And one uh, convicting thing, another on the topic of heaven for a second is 
imagine like you go to uh, this is like a this is like a a message for a pastor was giving for lukewarm people, and he, uh, the call out was it's actually Matt Chandler at Elevation. Um, and the qu- the question was basically like, when you get to heaven, you're going to see Paul and then you're going to talk to him. And Paul's going to be like, you're going to be like, oh, I remember when you were in prison and you were doing these things, I, all those things you did for Christ. And he'll turn around and be like, oh, so what'd you do for Christ? And and, then he, and you'll be like, well, I went to church. Mm-hmm. No, but like, what'd you do yeah. for Christ? Yeah. And you're just like, oh, I, I listened to a bunch of sermons. And he's like, mm-hmm. But what'd you do? Like, th- And that, that question mm-hmm. is, is, is convicting and it should be. And like, imagine, it's just embarrassment you would have. Not that yeah. you can be embarrassed in heaven, but the idea of talking to the saints and mm-hmm. the saints asking you, like, what, what did you do for Jesus? Like, that's so exciting. Like, he, he saved you from everything. What, how did you then return and, and give him everything? He was like, I gave him an hour a week. It's like, yeah. man, that's, that's a hard yeah. punch. And that is, it's, yeah. it's nerve-wracking. It's, it <laughs> is. And I don't think, I, I mean, I'll have an answer. So I'm happy yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but it is, is intimidating things. Okay, so we covered Nineveh. A little bit about it. It is a, a giant 120,000 people predicted, which is a giant amount of people considering this town that we're speaking from right now is 15,000, and that seems a decent size. Um, and Trenton has like 85,000, um, and that's our, the capital of New Jersey, and this is still bigger than that. So it's a big city. I, I get mm-hmm. why it'd be intimidating. I'm not taking – just because it's politically what's, weak doesn't mean he's he's not courageous going there. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. speaking yeah. in front of Jeroboam. What's, uh, what's bigger, Trenton or Newark? I don't know. I'm trying to like think of what's it, what it because it's definitely small in the Philly. So Camden is seventy five thousand. I don't know if that. And helps. what was this one? Trenton was eighty four. No, was Nineveh. And Nineveh was one hundred and twenty. Okay, so so it's almost like give or take like two Camdens, which is pretty big. Oh, but yeah, it's pretty big. I know that math didn't make sense, but close. Yeah. yeah. So, from those of you guys listening from California, it's like a Sacramento, one Oakland, maybe. yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so then we have uh, Nineveh is the, the main thing that he's trying to avoid, and he tries to flee to Tarshish. So if you're looking for, like, an analogy for, you know, how you are behaving in your life, like, and, and what Joe just brought up is is Nineveh is the, the place you're trying to avoid, the people group that you don't want or think are worth it. And then you have the Tarshishes, um, which yeah, Tarshish is the place that you're trying to get to because there's no challenge there, and the people. At, either he wants to go and be in isolation. It's never clarified, but um, Tar- Tarshish is is either mentioned as a place a little further than Spain or in Spain, or just considered um, a reference for the furthest possible place he could get. Yeah, that's what I understood it as. Like to Israelites, like that was the furthest furthest point. Yeah, because that's like right where, if you're ever looking at a map, that's like right the bottom of Spain. And where, where Spain almost touches Northern Africa. Is it? So it's kind of like where the Mediterranean closes in right there. I don't even, they might touch, I don't, I don't know if they touch. I don't I think they no do. Idea. But there's like, if, so like to them, that was like, that was it. They didn't know the obvious, the other side of the Atlantic Ocean, you know? So it was like, that was the other side of the world to them. Yeah. And that's, and that's the place he decided to go yeah. other than. So the question you can have to reflect, just, just the knowledge of the cities and knowing the general arc of this, this story is, is who is Nineveh to you? Mm. And who is Tarshish to you? So like, where do you flee for comfort and isolation from a people that you don't think are worth saving? Yeah, I think comfort's a good word too because we know, it, like, from uh, was it King Chronicles, one of them, where that's where Solomon got a lot of supplies. He was ushering in like gold and all sorts of stuff for like, you know, for his temples and stuff. So it's a place of luxury, mm-hmm. where at a bare minimum, you know. So it could have just been comforts. And one thing that I'm, I don't know, I don't want to speak for all Christians, but I know that generally, generally Christians don't think of like 
Muslims as the number one group of people to talk to. It's a little intimidating because they're mm-hmm. very strong, well-educated in yeah. their in their uh, religion, and you have to know your Bible well if you're going to be talking about historical references between Muhammad and Jesus yeah. and like, the differences. And, and you got to know the Quran enough and, you have to know and the history. Quran enough. Yeah. And so for me, they're an intimidating group of people to talk about, just being honest, mm-hmm. about um, religion and, how, how, and, and However, Jesus. though, it, a common thing amongst Muslims is that they don't think that Christians actually believe because they because they never get talked to. Because they're never, yeah, that's what I was going to so, bring up. So they're like, oh, they don't actually believe what they say they believe because they never get talked to. They never, I've never, I've never been invited to a church. You know, it's like, so they're like, clearly they don't believe, you know. Yeah, yeah, the, they, yeah. They Nabil, Nabil Qureshi talks about that a lot, where he's like, growing up, he was like, I was convinced that no Christian actually believed what they said they believed because if they did, they would tell me. Mm. Yeah, I wonder if the guy that I, I heard the clip of talking about that is the guy you just mentioned because he said like everything you're saying word for word. Yeah, is he? Um, is he? Was he part of Ravi Zacharias's ministry? I don't know. It was one of those just like okay. quick things yeah. on YouTube. But either way, yeah. So mm-hmm. he, uh, that group of people though, in terms of the state of Nineveh, might be what Nineveh was receptive to the the gospel, and you don't yeah. know. And I guess that'll be that, that, your Nineveh would be different to everybody. Yes, like because to me. I have Muslim friends and I talk about it a lot. To me, it's easier because they believe in God. Yeah. Like they believe, they believe in God. They believe yeah. in miracles. They believe they're not going to, they're not going to laugh at the fish story. You know, Jesus is the most quoted prophet in the Quran. So it's like, there's a lot to connect to him. Mm-hmm. And a, to me, an atheist would be harder because now we have to meet on such different foundational grounds. They, I mean, Muslims believe in Abraham and Ishmael and Isaac. So it's like, we can, we can meet in the middle in places and, and just go from there. Yeah. I, Acknowledge that, but my not fear, but my social anxiety would be that I'm going to like deeply offend them based off, yeah. Like, but me I mean, tell, yeah. like if, if I'm telling them that your God is not the one true God, that's offensive, you know, especially if you're I don't right. Know. So, yeah, you can't really offend an atheist because they don't believe in anything, yeah. I see what you mean, yeah. So, that that's like, and again, my fear of like not of offending people, yeah, like, as yeah. like a personal quality, yeah, like that would that's where that comes in with that people group for atheists, like they already think I'm an idiot before I talk to them, so I can't like right. offend them. They already have this in complex of superiority before it mm-hmm. start. So, you know, I don't know. It is different for everybody. And also it doesn't fully matter what Nineveh is because it matters for your heart check, but God pre- could be not preparing Nineveh to be your – like you could talk to – like I could go talk to a whole squad of people who are, are uh, Muslims and God's not softening their heart right now to hear the gospel. You know, like mm-hmm. it's up to God whether or not their hearts are receptive. So Jonah could have been called to Nineveh and gone and been executed. Yeah. But that wasn't God's plan at that time. Right. Which the timing of it's pretty cool too, because if if uh when Paul got saved, right, and he became Paul, he what do you have three years of training and studying? Um, or two it was, years? It was longer than that. Was it, it long? Was like Fourteen. Was it really? Yeah. Before he did anything? Uh, no, not before he did anything. I thought he like went into the wilderness for two or three years before he he flipped. But either way, like he, Jonah could have been then beaten down theologically for another three years and missed the opportunity to meet the Nineveh when their hearts were soft. But God had a plan and was going to make Jonah get there regardless of whether he wanted to or not. So there's interesting examples in the Bible where, you know, when Moses fought the calling to, well, not the calling, but when he murdered the man and he went and hid and God taught him over many years, um, 
and and refined him and made him ready and and patient enough to go back. Sometimes the lesson that God teaches you is like years, years and years. And yeah, years. yeah. And sometimes it's three days, depending on what his needs are. So it gives you an eerie sense of how in control God is, and how like it has a lot less to do with whether we're one hundred percent ready or not, or just if God is just ready to use us, you know, and we're in His timing. So those two cities. So just just for clarification. Yeah. So whoa, what was that word? Clarification. Okay, cool. What you think I said? I thought it was Carlification the way you said it. Right? <laughs> no. So Paul t- Paul learns under Jesus for three years. Um, Fourteen years after his conversion, um, he had occasion to go to Jerusalem, and there he met privately with the leaders, including the Peter and John, and that's okay. when their gospels aligned. You know they they recognized him as not the murderer. You know, I, so, so I didn't you know. make up the three years. That's all. I yeah, and I didn't make up the four. Okay. That's all. It's okay. like we made yeah. like a middle. Yeah. Um, so, so one, one thing I do like doing about books and it's why I start, we'll start with this and, and we'll shift gears in a second, but it is important. Like we talked about with, maybe it was with just us, but talking about how to read the Bible mm-hmm. and how to set it up. Yeah. It was with Sophia when we had her on yeah, for the yeah. mis, most misquoted setting the historical, who was written to, who wrote it, when what's left out, what's intentionally brought in. All those things are crucial to your understanding of the Bible. And you can read it as a, as a child. Now, I don't think there's anything necessarily inherently wrong or evil about just focusing on the whale because I understand it's like hard to teach kids like anything. And so like when you read a children's <laughs> Bible, like you're, they're just trying to keep them in high mm-hmm. interest. Yeah, you're um, not going to teach them about the reign of Syria. And yeah, like a- <laughs> yeah. So like I understand why certain details are left out. But that's the milk, and then the meat has to come in. You can't just stick with the milk. And I, yeah, I think by the eighth grade they can handle like there was this evil country, you know. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and compared to something now, like. Yeah, and and I mean, this seems like a book that's forcibly kept in the milk stage for most Christians forever. Yeah, that's a good. I I. That's like a that. series on this is that you read Jonah as a fun story and then once it's over while you're when you're done laughing at Jonah you get punched in the stomach to realize you are him yeah yeah it's a mirror yeah Yeah. and it's and he says like every single believer is Jonah multiple times in their life Mm -hmm. whether it's in a dramatic external way or an internal struggle and so the two things that pop out to me and and Joe I think you'll clarify this because you read that uh, Particle Prophet book yeah but the two things, if I were to think about rebellion, the two stories that pop out the most in the Bible are Jonah and the prodigal son. Yes. To me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm like, Judas is probably another one. I mean, it's more direct, but I, yeah. I don't really, I mean, that's it, just motivated and, by greed. And so I get Right. Like I kind of already mentioned to be like a, well, I guess it's not a, if you're talking about a direct, like, I'm telling you this and you're doing that. Like that's I was gonna say Saul Saul's whole when he was persecuting the church. It that seems to be very similar. He he thought what he was doing was from the from, from his he was zealous for the Lord. He thought what he was doing was what the Lord would want. These guys are these people are speaking blasphemies. They're evil. They're they're you know it's heresy against God's word. I need to I need to shut them up. True. 
And Jonah thought the same thing. Like, they yeah, don't deserve the, a prophecy. Yeah, they don't these, deserve a word. Yeah, the Ninevites were 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 beasts. Like Assyrians were beasts. Like the things that they would do. Like they would think of pagan cult, like ancient pagan cultures. They would like take over cities and parade their heads on like poles around the. They would do wild stuff. So if you're if you're following some sort of moral law as an ancient Israeli, you're like it, he. There's no way he can be telling me to go to, for these people to go repent. You know, like that he can't be like so. Uh, actually, uh, Tim Keller has a good thing. He said jo- Jonah concluded that because he could not see any good reason for God's command, there couldn't be any. He doubted the goodness, wisdom, and justice of God. Which brings us to the garden. Which literally in the book is what he, he, is he it? yeah. It's the next thing he brings us to. He's like it's exactly what it's exactly what happened in the garden. Where God he, didn't say that. Yeah, he can't. Why would he? He wouldn't want us. He wouldn't deny us. You know. This, this great thing, this knowledge of good. Yeah. When it's like he actually gave you everything, but that will bring you death and he's keeping you safe. Like so. But it, it was the it was the thinking you know God's character and thinking it, it's it's creating a God of your own think liking, you know? And then when it contradicts that, your whole theology collapses and you can't handle it. So you just run away. Like <laughs> you just out of panic. You just like, you know. Yeah, th- that's interesting. I, I have to look up the guy's name, but did you? I don't even know if it's. There was the story about the 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 author in like 2010. He um wrote a book about dating, and it was, an, it was like huge in the Christian circles. And I, I'll look up the guy's name in a minute when you start talking. But mm-hmm. the uh, basically the long story short is he made a book about how like you shouldn't date, you should jump right into marriage, and it was all this like really non biblical advice, and it blew up in Christian circles, and then it caused a lot of damage and. Um, but in the meantime, because the book sold so quickly, he was put on a lot of platforms and was speaking at all these youth conferences and stuff and did like a lot of damage about what it means to date as a Christian. And uh, now he is a non-believer, non-practicing, divorced <laughs> twice. And like it was- well, That took a turn. Yeah, but it, it was interesting to see like he created his own God and his own theology. And just like we see in Jonah in the first few verses, he just- ran away from the will of God. He just basically said, I'm going to flee from this one command. And then it expounded into, I deny the calling of God altogether. I deny all of what he has for me. Right. And so his small, his theology, like you're saying, he created his own theology in his head. And then when it wasn't compatible, he was out. Right. And it's funny because this theology lived out is divorce, you know? Right. So anyway, it's just interesting. No. Right. So I, 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 I think we could touch on that later because I think a big part of, of Jonah is identity. And when you put your identity in something other than Christ and that gets demolished, then you're demolished. Um, and he talk, uh, um, Tim Keller talks about that when he compares him to like Peter. And, you know, it, Jonah's identity, which you see later and how he responds to them when they ask like who he is and, and they ask him all these questions – his identity was his race first and his culture first before it was his God. Hmm. And that theology collided with what God asked him to do. So when those things came together, he couldn't handle it. Like he, he didn't, he didn't know his worlds were collapsing. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago with, with Vody talking about uh, ethnic Gnosticism. Right. Yeah. So when your, your material race becomes more important than anything else. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. And that's the lens that I think is absent from the studying of Jonah in most sermons. Yes. Yeah, probably. Because it, it's so hyper-focused on – it's so hyper-focused on the whale and rebellion. That's it. Yeah. And a good thing like Sophia was talking about in her episode, like 
when you, once you start asking the whys, it, this immediately comes up. I said, like, okay, well, why? Because you didn't just rebel. You drastically, you took drastic measures to do the exact opposite. Like, yeah. you know, everything. Like, so it's like, wh- why? Like, wh- what was so insane about this? So then, you know, if, if you put yourself hermeneutically, if, you know, if you put yourself back in the culture back then, this would have been like, in 1940s, this would have been like a Jew telling a Jew to go to Nazi Germany and just like on the steps telling him to go repent. And they're like, I'm going to get shot immediately you know it's like <laughs> like that like so it's like why would they not gonna repent like why would they you know and that's kind of what it was like yeah yeah and so the, the guy's name is joshua harris and you've heard his okay name and it's interesting in, in a bunch of there's a round table discussion where i saw it the first time i saw him and it was him and two other guys that are famous uh david platt and another guy who writes all the, the apologetics books and they were, they Sean were, McDowell, Sean McDowell. Yeah. yeah. They were sitting at a round table. I was like, who's that third guy? And I started looking into it and they were like, don't. So it's like, if you Google Josh Harris, it says like one of the most influential voices on sex and relationships for a generation of evangelical Christians announced last week, this was written in 2019, that his wife and him are separating after 20 years of marriage. His book was called I Kissed Dating Goodbye. It was published in 1997. And in 2019, the book he publishes is I, Chris, I Kissed Jesus Goodbye. Wow. Um, and so it's interesting to see, like, when a theology is incompatible with your worldview, yeah. it eventually will be the thing that causes you to abandon your faith. Correct. And you see that in so many different spheres, but specifically with Jonah and his calling and with Josh, it's it's interesting. And Paul. And Peter. Yeah, with pretty much everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unless, you, unless you're willing to be conformed right. by the renewal of your mind. Or transformed, sorry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, um, yeah. So do you want to compare it to the prodigal? Yeah. So do you want to recap that the prodigal for us? The prodigal son. Yeah, the, the actual prodigal son story. Yeah. Uh, so there was a man who, um, a son, the mm-hmm. son of a father, obviously, and uh, the, he basically demanded ahead of time his inheritance because he thought that he um, yeah. wanted it. He wanted to get out from under the control of his father. So he just basically wanted to be on his own. And the father reluctantly gives him all the money. He squanders it um, in all the ways you would normally squander money sinfully, yeah. um, probably on women and you know mm-hmm. drinking. And um, and then after a, a shorter amount of time than it seems possible, he ends up eating with the pigs and eating their slop out of the same trough. And then he crawls back to the prodigal father who um, for the only times in the Bible we see him running. You see a, a father running and he runs to his son to brace him with open arms. And we've talked about this before in the episode because I often – um, I would I would identify as pretty much hopefully as everyone in the story at one point, but I do identify with the older brother who gets pissed because his younger brother gets what's left of the inheritance that was for him, right? Um, lavished upon the prodigal son um, because the you know, and this is all a great analogy for the Christ and when we were the prodigal mm-hmm. son, um, but the the older brother um, is like you just gave him the best of everything we had left, and mm-hmm. he squandered all of it. Like how is that fair? And so he's. Um, and so let's look at how each of those two sons are rebelling in different ways. So that's, right, what, that's what we're going to talk about with, with- Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So the younger brother tries to escape um, by rejecting all his father's morals and doing, his, doing it by his own, his own way, you know? Um, the older brother stays home and obeys, but when he couldn't understand his father's actions, he flips out. And and like and rebels in that right, way. which right and rebels in that way. So clearly, neither of you understood your father's character, 
and one just took a little bit longer to expose your true heart. Um, and that's literally what you see in Jonah. Um, like uh, in the first two chapter, the first two chapters, Jonah disobeys and runs away from the Lord um, and kind of repents and asks for God's grace. Um, and then in the last two chapters, he, he goes to Nineveh, but at the end he's angry that they were given that mercy to ask to, to, re, to repent. He, it doesn't sit well with him. Even to, and, then that, and the book just ends like that, you know. So it's like, and that's what that doesn't get talked about a lot, where it kind of just ends like open ended, and like Jonah didn't seem to change that much. Yeah, you know. Um, but uh, so the younger son in the in the in the in the parable clearly disobeys God. I'm sorry, clearly disobeys his father, who yeah would be the metaphor for God. The older son seems to be obeying. But then his heart gets exposed later. So, like, the que- the question is, like, even when we are outwardly obeying God, are we doing it for his sake or ours? You know, yeah. and that's, like, and I do that's think- heavy. Because sometimes you're doing things in – you're claiming to do things in God's name, but you really have a selfish motive behind it. And we talk about the scriptures we hate the most. This was always the number one I mentioned. Yeah, because and, and that's why. Yeah. Uh, no, it's justice, but like it makes sense because that's usually my flaw is I'm outwardly always doing the right thing. Correct. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah. And like internally, like when something troubled happens is when like I my faith gets tested, you know, like um, I love the example of, of when you have a cup and it gets spilled, something traumatic happens to the cup, the water that comes out is always what's authentic. So if you have a cup full of sweet water and it gets bumped, like sweet water is going to come out. So if like if you have something really tough in life happening and something bitter, you're angry. It's because mm-hmm. that's what's really inside of you. That's mm. not that's not the circumstance. That's you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of like the older son, right? right? We got the out. We got the cup. Yeah. And then it was like, oh man, my, my brother's gone. But he probably in that time, knowing you know what's like being on that side, it's like you feel a sense of like pride and almost like that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Pride and what's the word for like not condescending, but like you you think you're you're better. Because you're not making those bad decisions, like you take a little pride in, I guess it's pride. Yes, yeah, like, pride, yeah. uh, pride in, in um, saying like, listen, I, at least I'm making, I can do other things wrong, but like I didn't do that, you know. Right, right. And then when uh, it's the trauma is him coming back and getting what you think you were earning, which you never earned, you never earned your father's love, right? That's the, it's the correct. He thinks he's had that. Right, yeah. you think you earned your. I actually deserve my dad's love. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah. No, I mean, it's almost an exact metaphor because Israel would be the older brother and then Nineveh would be the younger son. Mm. And then Jonah, you know, Jonah representing Israel would be the older brother. And just like not fathoming why he would do what he's doing. And but dude, if you put me back in that day, I would, I would be like, I must have misheard this. This has to be, I, this can't be right. Um, You just think of like the Ninevites, the Canaanites, those ancient like pagan cultures that were just, you know, sacrificing babies and stuff like that. And yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and, and I hear comparisons in when I read commentaries that compare Nineveh to Sodom a lot. And I the only thing would be is it's like a nation that's against the nation of Israel. That that's like the only comparison because I the and biblically the the only sin that Nineveh is is attributed to Nineveh is violence. Um in, yeah, in yeah. Jonah three. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you, uh, when I was talking to Cole, uh, Cole's not here tonight, by the way, he's a giant injury. Yeah. Um, it's a, uh, he, he severed his toe. 
something like that. Just yeah. kidding. No, um, no, he's uh, he's out because he, he he has a boo boo. Um, he'll be out next time. Mm-hmm. So uh, Cole was mentioning how uh, he read Gnome, or however you say it, and and uh, it, it talks about like the severe violence. It's not just it, it's not just violence at Nineveh. Like there, it was like murdering and slaughtering thousands of people yeah, at yeah. a time. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it is it is a it is a, like a dark place, but it's I don't know. It's not in so- Sodom and Gomorrah. Like there's I think ever it was just like sin galore. There was no structure to right. ethics and yeah. morals. Um, they couldn't find one person that was morally upright. Anyway, so there is there is a comparison there that there's a nation needs to be saved, but in terms of what the sins they were actually practicing, and I put Sodom like way way like worse than Nineveh. Do you really? Sodom and Gomorrah? They couldn't find one person worth saving. Uh, true, true, true. Like God, yeah, yeah, God yeah, found yeah, yeah. these and people that, were, yeah. they were their hearts were yeah, yeah. open to the yeah. truth when found where they were. Right, you're right, yeah, you're right, you're right. But I'm also thinking of a huge timeline difference and people just get more civilized. Even as uncivil as Nineveh was, like generally people like like think about nations now. Think about the worst nation now. They're not even close to what Nineveh was. So it's just always, we're always gradually because that's common grace. We're, we're like we're living under common grace. So we're like we're going to naturally like. Do you think? Do you think there are any nations worse than Nineveh after Nineveh? Oh, I mean, yeah, I think there's exceptions in there, but I think generally speaking, over time we get more and more civil. So that might have been like the worst of its. No, it was the worst of its time period. Yeah, and then yeah, so it's all relative to your time yeah, period. Like I guess, I still. I mean, I still. Like right now, it's like 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 I mean, North Korea is probably the, I mean one of the worst governmentally run. Governmentally run, but not as far as like they, not as far as other things. Like they kind of just stay to themselves and just do like when was the last time we heard anybody? You know, it's like they just do their own thing in their own little corner of the world. And it's kind of like they're they're evil if we just leave them over there and like and like yeah. they won't they won't bother anybody else. But here's a, here's the thing that I think is the difference between the different nations we're talking about. It's like the governmentally run thing. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, there was not a person in it that was redeemable. Or a, that or oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, in North Korea, there's great, there's good there's people, great people. Yeah, that are like seeking asylum. Well, and that's what I'm know? saying. Like in general, people are getting more civil. Mm-hmm. Like not, you know, governments might still be corrupt and be relatively more civil, but in general, your average person. So like, it was the norm back then to just like, I don't know, like back in ancient civilizations, if to like somebody took my thing, just kill them. Yeah. Like that wasn't looked at. Like now it's like, oh, you're a murderer now. You know, like the, like. Yeah, I don't have I don't have a strong enough history to say anything. So I mean, either do I, I agree, really, but I like, just, just like yeah. I don't. I, I'm just kind of imagining which like. Yeah, it seems like what you're saying is right, but I don't have like. Yeah, I, I can't stand on I, it. Either can I? Yeah. So I I just to look at the different aspects of rebellion between the two stories. We have the the prodigal son and um, Jonah. These are three points that are true for both of them, um, and I think I mentioned the first one already. Um, that small rebellion against so. We talked about how your, if your theology you buckle down on one, if you rebel one part of a truth of God, it eventually leads to complete rejection of yeah. them altogether. Like mm-hmm. Josh Harris, like Jonah, like Paul. So in the subtle verses one through two in Jonah one, he denies one call from God, and it reveals a heart of disbelief. Yes, right. So and that that is exposed, um, and. Yeah, so that's the first one. The second one, rebellion against God invites the wrath of God. And I love this this quote from Bill Curtis. It says, he is prepared to break the ship, drown Jonah, and let all of the idol-worshiping sailors perish, all in response to Jonah's rebellious actions. Mm-hmm. That's strong. Like that, this phrasing mm-hmm. it that way is what God's willing to do to make his will 
um, complete and to buck the rebellion of one of his supposed prophets at the time um, is he's willing to let a bunch of people not have the chance to to know him. Right, and that just goes, and that just also goes to show like the the ripple effect where like our sin always has consequences, and a lot of times other people are affected by it. Whether believe other believer friends, other non believer friends, like your sin has consequences, and other people will get affected by it. You know, like they were like they were all in that same boat, and because of Jonah, they all had to suffer. Like you know, and that's a combination of living in a fallen world too. Like we all live in a fallen world. And we all experience common graces, but there's the range on the just and the unjust. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, just another, basing off that, there's like a, uh, William A. Banks says another, uh, has another lens for rebellion. So rebellion never escapes God's notice. The Lord may let a man go a certain point before he steps in, but when he moves, he moves with no uncertainty. It's like just talking even further about, um, the wrath of God in the prodigal son would be the fact that he's eating pig slop, right? Like God let him experience the consequence the of consequences a sin. Yeah. Of a sin. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that's is I think Christians commonly misconceive when it comes to grace and wrath is that a lot of times the wrath is letting us experience the physical consequences of our sin. Like yeah, yeah, and absolutely. I mean, as much as I love the testimonies of people that get saved and they find they they um, meet Jesus and they no longer have their addiction. But a lot of times the consequences of your sin are still following you. you know, mm-hmm. The yeah. consequences of your previous three divorces are still going to follow you when you're with your kids from all those different people, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. when you get married um, again and finally accept Christ and whatever it would be. Um, so there are consequences to sin in, in the, that don't have to be – that can't be washed away. The grace of God washes the eternal consequences away is what I'm trying to say, yeah, not, the, yeah. not the earthly. Yeah. Um, and uh, the rebellion that sparked – the wrath of God for Jonah came in the form of a storm and a giant fish. Uh, and it eventually gets him there, but the wrath of God will come. Yeah, absolutely. So let's take a look at the pagans on that ship. Yeah. So, uh, so Jonah, you get Jonah's divided into the whole story is divided into two halves, and then each half has three sections. Um, you have God's word to Jonah, his encounter with pagans, and then finally Jonah talking to God. So both halves are in that. Okay. Unfold in that order. Um, but again, like back to what you're talking in the beginning, like of this being somewhat like satire. You have the pagans acting very out of character with the words associated with their, who they are. You know, like they're acting very non-pagan-like, or at least I think that's the that's the point of this story is to not put people in boxes and to not stereotype and to not assume you know how another one of God's creations is going to behave or act. Um, so the the contrast, the 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 similarities and the differences between the pagans and Jonah on the ship in the storm are like shockingly obvious when you read it. So if you would almost, if you were to read these when I'm looking at them now, read them without telling me who to say, I had no idea who, so if the you, story never, was, you never, you never read, read Jonah. Okay. And you, you just know like Jonah this, is an Israeli 
and penguins are not. Yeah, and then you were to describe it. Okay, that that category's clearly got to be the prophet. Yeah, it's backwards. It's the pagans. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so so the pagans they're experienced sailors, and Jonah is a merchant. Then then you have on the ship during the storm, the pagans are awake and terrified, and Jonah is asleep and oblivious. Then you have the pagans uh, are trying to seek the, the common good of everyone on the ship, and Jonah's absorbed with his own situation, his own fear. Um, the pagans pray to their gods, and Jonah doesn't mention God once. Um, then the pagans uh, are not narrow or bigoted. Uh, they're willing to call on Jonah's God. And Jonah is filled with all these prejudices and unwilling to want to go to people outside of his nation and race. So it's like a direct, you see it all like unfolding. Um, And Bill Curtis has a really cool insight that I never thought of for the cargo itself, which is, which is interesting. He has like a whole whole side chapter on the cargo, like what the cargo must've been. It was a merchant ship, but Jonah was the only merchant. And by the way, there's a strong case for the fact that Jonah used all of his money and like paid. So he did the, I always thought of Jonah hops on the ship and he just pays for his, his fare, his his journey. Yeah. Yeah. But the idioms that are used in Hebrew suggest that he bought the whole journey of everyone. He's paying, he financed the whole trip. So he's the only merchandise on the trip. So he's a merchant, but the whole, like he paid, like he gave his life savings to get away. So anyway, that's just so he was planning to not come back from Tarshish. To not come you're, back, okay. and he God called for one thing, and he was willing to give everything to get away from God's thing. So like God said, "I need you to give me. I need you to trust me with your life, right? I yeah, need, because I need you're going to go to a place and you might die as a prophet. Yeah, yeah. And he said, "I'd rather give all of my resources to go a different direction. So it wasn't just like a subtle rebellion. It was yeah, like yeah. I'm going it this was, way on a one way ticket, and right. I'm out of here. Yeah. And he was going to get there with no resources and be fine with that, and mm-hmm. have everything he needs and want. So anyway, that's just more speaks to his rebellion. Yeah, but. With the cargo, if he was the only merchant, that meant the things on the ship that were there would have only been the essentials or the very valuable goods of the sailors. So the sailors, yeah, th- there was no like bottles, like barrels of wine because they're shipping somewhere. It was like, hey, this when the sailors uh, realize that they're in trouble and they're offering their cargo up to bail, um, B A A L or yeah, Baal, however yeah, you say, Baal. they're offering up to their their god of the sea. They're willing to throw aside their essentials and everything for God, for their god, and so they're doing like you're saying the complete opposite, where they're willing to give everything, including their most essential privates, private treasures, whatever it would be, to God, while Jonah was willing to give all of his essential materials to get away from him. Right, right, yeah. Which is so it's is another a cool contrast. Yes, yeah. It's so obvious. It's so blatantly obvious too when you're just reading. I mean, maybe not that you need to know like the Hebrew and everything, but like just like the way that they're acting is so much more like civil and and, and like respectful. Mm-hmm. And um, they seem like chill dudes. Like, I yeah, have, they seem like I wouldn't be. <laughs> I wouldn't have a problem with them. You know, like yeah. I wouldn't have a problem asking them to repent or yeah. anybody of the you know of that nature. Um, so specifically, uh, the captain. What, what the captain says to Jonah. Is pretty interesting. Why speaking of like the Hebrew, um, the captain yells, "Arise!" and he goes, "Call on your, call on your God." But when he says "arise and call," he uses the same words that God used in the beginning to Jonah when he says, "Arise, go and call." So he says, "Arise, call on your God." But then uh, Jonah, when God speaks to Jonah, he says, "Arise, go and call the Ninevites." But he uses the same exact word. So it's like a, it's like a weird thing where um, 
Jonah is like coming up out of this slumber and he's hearing the exact same words now from a Gentile that he heard from God. Um, That's cool. Yeah, it's like, so it's like, and you know, um, so one here, we'll quote from uh, Timothy Keller. He says, uh, God sent his prophet to preach to the pagans and now God is using the pagans to preach to the prophet. It's, um, it's again, it's a, it's a direct in his face from his like nationalism. Um, so, yeah, which, um, again, which leads to, I think, like back to House of Faith talked about, like we gotta ask why he's doing all that. Like, why, why are you willing to put all your money down and disobey God so much? Like, there's got to be a why to that. Like, what's the root of it? And I think his identity reveals that. Or like, so um, when so they cast lots to figure out like where's this storm coming from? Whose sin caused this? Because they they're they're in tune enough to recognize that this storm is not natural. It's some of some divine origin. Like, I mean, they're, they're, they're mariners. They're, they're on the sea all the time. So like, they know what a regular storm is. And this was not that, you know? So, so they recognize that this was because of somebody's sin on the ship. And, um, so they cast lots and the lot, lot, the lot, which is always a weird thing to me, by the way, casting lots, but that's something I want to study in scripture. It's always been weird to me. Do you remember when we, when you first started coming to, to the young adults, Bible yeah. study like five, six years ago, that was a big discussion we had. Yeah. They're like, why don't I cast lots anymore? And we had like an hour yeah, discussion yeah, yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. It's like, why? That just like stopped and nobody talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine we settled the things like that. I was that, like, yeah. I'll, I'll look into it. I just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are later, not knowing why. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the lots fall on Jonah. Okay. Clearly, it's his. God points to him as the reason for why this is happening. And then, in order, this is what they ask him. They say, What is your mission here? Then they say, where are you from? What is your country? And then they say, who are your people? And when he answers that, he answers that backwards. And that just kind of reveals his identity. Um, his first thing that he says is, I am a Hebrew. Because, again, speaking back to like he's coming from this nationalism, you see it in Second Kings where he wants expansion of Israel to go out, and this, which was an aggressive. Jeroboam was evil. You know, mm-hmm. so like um, – you see that being a main issue of his. Um, and then when his identity collapses and God throws all continuously throws in his face, like these people are better than me. They're speaking God's words that he said to me. They're, like his, his identity collapses and he has like a midlife crisis on the ship, you know, um, to a point where he wants to jump overboard. Um, yeah. Which is interesting. I don't know. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I, I mean, I see guys for the record, just so you guys know, um, we have a combined 14 pages of notes yeah. <laughs> that we're referring. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, if you think there's any intellect, it's just because we've studied a lot and we've, we've trying to put this information in a collection yeah, yeah. for you guys. And um, so the reason I say that is because I'm looking at one of our last points on here and it's similar. So like uh, for yours, you you titled your last one of your last points, we're all in the same boat. Yeah. And it's and it's emphasizing how we're on a community of faith, and we give we should give people uh, who aren't saved the right to evaluate the church on its own merit. Yeah. And then my last point that I have on here is rebellion denies sinners the hope of God. So you're just like more positively phrased. Mm-hmm. But when Jonah is sleeping and everybody else is praying to their gods, I'm not going to like rewrite history and say like they would have all given their lives to God if if Jonah was awake. But the fact that his apathy was 
happening, his apathy and, and his obliviousness when he was sleeping was happening when if he were to stand up and demonstrate strong faith, it would have been a testimony of God's character. So that's a great segue, even though we're skipping a lot here, but whatever, yeah. it's, I'll, we'll do what we want. Yeah, yeah so, it's, it's our podcast. <laughs> yes. So, so exactly what you just said, we see uh, an example of this, which is another factual thing that happened in history, especially in the book that it was recorded in, in Acts. A very parallel story, but the opposite happens in Paul's storm when Paul's in 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 Acts. Okay, you, you know what I'm talking about when Paul yeah. gets shipwrecked, right? So, uh, I think it's Acts 22, 20, something like that, maybe twenty seven. It's I don't our know. podcast, is it? Is what we say it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it's a Quran yeah. <laughs> no, uh, So yeah, so um, so that's a fun thing too to 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 compare and contrast, like we did with the pagans versus Jonah. Like when you look at how Jonah responded, and then you look at how Paul. Post conversion, with the power of the Holy Spirit, how he responded in the storm. Again, almost exact opposites. And when you parallel them stories next to each other, it's it's like whoa. So if you're looking at it here, you, you, you go down to the end there, where you see like, um, Jonah and Paul. See that there? Yeah. Yeah. So in Jonah's story, Jonah's sailors warn him of the storm during the storm. Paul warns his uh, sailors. <laughs> That's not what I, what I put, but Paul, warn, Paul warns the sailors prior to sailing. Jonah didn't want to speak to Gentiles. Paul's, Paul's whole mission was speaking to Gentiles. Um, in Jonah, the crew threw things into the sea. Um, well, I have the same. Th- oh, that's a similarity. They both they both abandoned things into the sea. Um, in Jonah, the crew came together with a solution um, that they could be saved by getting rid of everything. And Paul directly warns things that if they jump overboard, they they will die. Um, Jonah hid bl- below deck, uh, sleeping, no regards to God. Paul was in the midst of them. Um, he fasted and he prayed. Jonah never speaks to God. Paul receives word from the Lord. Um, jo- uh, Jonah wanted to escape, and Paul's, the sailors wanted to escape. Sailors prayed to Yahweh, um, and Jonah didn't. In Paul's story, Paul broke bread and gave thanks to God, and as a result, the sailors did. So, uh in Jonah, they eventually throw Jonah overboard, and Paul says if they jump overboard, they they specifically won't be saved. Mm-hmm. So what they think is going to be their salvation will actually end in their death, and he receives that word for it. So it's like the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling Paul and his post-conversion. Like this is coming from somebody who used to be Saul who wanted to kill the people in the boat that he's with. You know, like that. So it's just a it's just a cool contrast, like you're saying. Like, like what would have happened if Jonah stood up? It's like well. We kind of see Paul. that in Paul's. Yeah, it's like yeah. What, what, what happened? Like they all ended up breaking bread and 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 praising Yahweh. So it is an interesting uh, parallel there. Yeah, and, and one thing you're talking about the attitude from the Israelites to the Gentiles, you can understand why they'd be so nationalistic because like they the, the Israelites never really had like an easy like their history that they're fighting for and that they're holding yeah, on oh, to. Absolutely, yeah. is like an oppre- slavery, history, yeah. like a history of oppression. Yeah, it's not like. So when they're fighting for their identity and everything, you kind of get it, and you're like, like you said, the Israel is the older brother, and yeah, everything is a prodigal, and you see that even in the, uh, some episodes of The Chosen. Yes, when they're referencing different people that they see, they're like, he's a Gentile, mm-hmm. or and that matters so much more when you know that like Jonah's motivation for the running was, right. was that entrenched national. Yeah, but see, here's the pride of it though, because Israel had the law and were God's chosen people. It, it turned. It quickly turned. Into, like, cause some of it is like, in this situation, yeah. Like, why would you go to Nineveh? Like, they're they're actually evil and they're 
they're doing all sorts of evil things. Why would you go to Nineveh? But in some situations, like they just had this automatic distaste to anybody that was a Gentile. And so much of that is its own pride because as any time Israel had a good king or became somewhat powerful, they immediately turned into those Gentile nations that they hated. Like they looked just like those nations. So it's like you have that same sin in you. You just happen to be cho- you, you literally just happened to be chosen by Abraham. You're lucky Abraham got chosen, you know, like and was faithful. Mm. And that's it. So, you know, it's like so the exact people that you hate, you become so many times in, in throughout Chronicles and Kings and like the Old Testament. It's like you become just as evil as them. Yeah, and you see that even and this is this is gonna upset some people on in where we live, but even where we live, it's like a migrant town, right? And so you see um Oh boy, was yeah. where's this going? <laughs> so in like I don't know the exact decades, but in the 60s, 70s, 80s, like Italians were the farm workers. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. right. And then from there, the Hispanics came in because it's where the cheapest labor is from. It's nothing yeah, exactly. Race. It's yeah. just the cheapest right. labor. And Italians were the now the Italians are the wealthy ones because they own the farms. Mm-hmm. And then the Hispanics came in, and then they were like looked down upon by the Italians who yep. were looked down upon. Exactly. Yeah. And then from there, now I even in my lifetime, I've seen it now shift to the Haitians. The Haitians yep. are coming in and the Hispanics look down on the Haitians. Right. And it's, yeah, you're right. It's, it's like the oppressed cycle. immediately yeah, exactly. the oppressors. Right, exactly. It's, yeah. it's, it's what you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a cool contrast though between Jonah and Paul. I like that. It. I like contrast because they highlight the things it's hard to notice without a contrast. Right, Yes. Yeah. It's a point of contrast. Yes. But like, you just gave the definition of it. Yeah. <laughs> but like the purpose as an academic exercise, especially in the Bible, it's 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 good. Especially when you look at the archetypes of Christ before they come. Like you look at Jonah as a type of Christ. It's like when you look at how Jonah is like Christ, you're like, okay, there's three things. Well, how is he different? And then it highlights the glory of God the more you look at how they're different. Right. Yeah, so what it does when you're denying your cause. So the one one comparison I I noticed right away when I was reading Jonah was how he was given a word of the Lord and he was he was given a, a mission, a commission to go deliver that word of the Lord. And then as going out with Paul, being indwelled by the Holy Spirit today and the time period of grace, dispensation of grace, we now have the great commission given to us by Christ to deliver and make, deliver the gospel, make disciples of nations. So now um, if we were to be, comp- if we were to be comparing ourselves to Jonah, um, ways that we run away from our mission to deliver the word of God to, to people who don't or aren't believers and how we run away from it. I, I mean, I don't know. This is kind of like a really personal question, I guess, for whoever's listening, but like ways that we rebel against our call to follow Christ and deliver him to other nations to make disciples. I mean, ways that common ways would be um, to just, if, if I look at two models from Jonah himself, I would say one model is to physically run the other way. Yeah. And that could take the form of materialism today. So instead yeah, of- I, Yeah, I mean- So many things. Yeah. But I'm just trying uh, to- Complacency. Like, complacency. Yeah. Well, that's what- Complacency is what I think of for the apathy sleeping of Jonah. So I say Jonah- So, like, so there's a lot. There's the apathy, apathy sleeping. And then there's like the creating your own God- and I think that's a lot of like uh, I'll step on toes here. That's a lot of people who it's hard to tell. Like, are you more Republican or are you more Christian? Yeah, you know, like your 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 identity doesn't come in how much Fox News you watch. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's so it's like I think it comes that's from how part. much chosen you watch. 
<laughs> so, you know, stuff, stuff like that where, you know, and that's like for a lot of Republican Christians, the Democrats are their Ninevites. And it's like, not to, a, to an extent, you know, but they label them as yes. as like evil and, you know, like everything that they want is opposing to the Lord, so like that. And it's like, maybe maybe that's true, but that's the exact reason why we should have grace and empathy towards them and, and speak to them. Well, yeah, our culture in general has made everything a Tarshish or a Nineveh. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Israel, Israel near Nineveh. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Israel and Nineveh. So yeah. you're either, in every single issue, if you're pro-choice or pro-life, yeah. you can't talk to that person ever again once right. you realize or can't relate to them or... Yeah, now it's like, the, the if we're sticking with this metaphor, the Ninevites would, would call... And label Israel the, the Zionists. The, they think they're chosen. They think they're you know what I mean and everything like that. And the other one would say like uh, they're they're heathens. These people, you know, like look at what they're doing. And you hear that co- talk constantly now. It's like yeah. the, the stereotypes towards Christians, which maybe we have an episode about or something like that. But like you know, just like just like the stereotypes and the state. Like, how can the people that claim to follow Christ be labeled as not loving, not gracious towards certain people groups? Not this you know X Y and Z. You know, it's 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 almost the exact same thing. Mm. Yeah, and I think we have to fight against that. I know consciously, that, yeah. consciously, and by um, doing it is by reading the word. Like, yeah, this exposes it. Yeah, and Don't, Jonah exposes it. And the way that um, Bill Curtis summarized at the end of his like application for this section, his three ways to fight your natural tendency to rebel or to reject the Ninevites basically um, is to he's first thing he says is go on the offensive Monday morning. So you hear your, you get pumped up with the Holy spirit on Sundays. Um, you get poured into make it intentional about Monday morning in your workplace um, to go in and speak specifically to the Ninevites in your life. So mm-hmm. don't let, don't, don't just like hope that they'll speak to you, like make it a point and pray for it. And I was really encouraged by testimony this past week, and the young adults group by someone who was basically prayed that they would have an opportunity to speak to their Ninevites, basically right. prayed for the opportunity. God, and this is a Paul that prayer talks about in Ephesians six and Colossians four. God, I need strength to be courageous to the to the Gentiles, um, and and deliver the gospel concisely and confidently. Yeah. And this person prayed that, and she was given opportunities really quickly, and she right. said it was the two people that she didn't really want yeah. to talk to. Yeah. They, they were literally God gave her the Ninevites. Right. And uh, that was just really encouraging because you know she openly lived out this right. story, and that could that could be another successfully. Yeah, that could be another way of disobedience too. Like I, I'm guilty of that, where it's like you feel like I should talk to this person about this, but like I, you know, I do assuming like I, I already know what they're going to say, I already know how it's going to yeah. go. Like I already know, and really what you're doing is that you that's you're being you're being Jonah in the sense that like I know more than God, you know, like I get like. And again, it's just not being obedient because he doesn't ask you to like – your, their response has nothing to do with you. You know, like granted, if you're a little bit more well-versed in scripture, if you're a little bit more maybe well-versed in your apologetics, which we all should be. Peter tells us that. Like then it will go a little bit smoother and you can defend the faith. But it doesn't say like you have to have a certain amount of credits before you can go do it. You know, it's just like just go do it. Like, mm-hmm. And Paul literally says like I didn't come with you with wise words or anything like that. I just came speaking the gospel. That's a – that's a – um. What do you call that? 
paraphrase version of that. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I don't know what I call it. <laughs> yeah. And so the second, so go on the offensive, pray for it. Um, the third one is pray for it. So pray for the opportunity specifically. And the second one, which I skipped, um, was be clear on the gospel and its significance, like you just said. Do we have on all mm-hmm. three? So intentionally go on the offensive to initiate the conversations. Um, which to, going back to Anise Anise thing, which is like there's creative ways to do that. It doesn't always have to. You don't just have to go up to somebody and be like, "Do you, do you believe in Jesus Christ?" You know what I mean? It's like yeah. there's just creative ways to do that, and like you know, yeah, and to like wear jewelry and, and yeah, stuff like yeah. that, or or just uh, you know, ask somebody like, "Hey, man, it's your struggling. Can, can you can I put you on my prayer list?" Like yeah, something like that. Oh, like, true, that creative. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like segues, you know. Yeah. So we want to. I mean, if we were looking for some like direct application and, and application that again is convinced is convicting. In my life, um, one thing that's good and something that motivates me, and also deters me sometimes from doing like a, a study or even with with this podcast, like I'm sometimes just like tired of conviction. Like it's it's, yeah. it's uh, it is exhausting when it's just like every time you read the Bible, it just highlights areas of your life where you need grace, and that's motivating because I, f- I have a server guide that has unlimited. Yeah, it's motivating that that he covers that that gap. But when I'm looking at this and and seeing more of myself and or more Jonah in me than anything else, but the, like, what does rebellion actually look like in your life? Um, are you actively praying for opportunities to be more bold and stop rebelling? And it is worth identifying and doing some introspection. Like, who is Nineveh to you? And um, are you trusting to, that God will? Bring you at the right time to those Ninevites, you know, to, to where their hearts are susceptible to um, the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and not to give like a warning of anything for God's wrath, but the one uh, warning from this that I would take is like, if Jonah rebelled against his commission to deliver that gospel, ended up with the wrath of God coming pretty hard on him, and you have a tug on your heart to talk to someone and you're denying it, you are inviting the wrath of God. Yeah. You're, and you're, at bare minimum, you're inviting consequences. Yes. Right. And I know that that, like... Oh, and, and then even uh, on a lighter note, uh, an even more bare minimum is you're, you're missing opportunities. Yes. You're missing you, the best that, that God has for you. Correct. And you're missing rewards in heaven. Yes, which could be the wrath. That's the wrath. You know? Well, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah. on the other end, like, you, these could be crowns you're going to throw back at him one day, you know? Like, yeah. And uh, the reason why I say the wrath of God, and, like, there is the negative connotation because you could easily say, you know, I... I had the chance to talk to someone. I missed the opportunity, but no one will ever know. You know, like mm-hmm. you're inviting uh, God's wrath could be just withholding opportunities for you to serve for more in the future. Right. You know, and right. um, and the only people that really suffer there are the the, the Ninevites. The yeah, really, exactly. Like this one section where it's like we're all in the same boat. Yeah. Um where um basically what what happens when they're in this storm is and that what, what, what we learn from it is that non-believers do have a right to evaluate what the church is doing 
and, and that, that we're not benefiting the common good of all people. Like they can look at us and say like, okay, you guys claim to be X, Y, and Z. Let's, let's see it happen. Like they, they do have that right to say that. Um, so I just wanted to read this quote. This, I'm just going to read this. this little, it's a little bit lengthy, but I think it's very worth noting. So yeah, these Joppa sailors are pagans or in modern times, non-Christians, but the lot of non-Christians and Christians is linked. They are in the same boat. The safety of all depends on what each one does. They are in the same storm, subject to the same peril, and they want the same outcome. The ship typifies our situation. So we are all believers and non-believers in the same boat. For a moment, Jonah lives in the same neighborhood with these sailors, and the storm that threatens one person threatens the entire community. Jonah fled because he did not want to work for the good of the pagans. He wanted to serve exclusively the interests of believers. The captain urges Jonah to do what he can for them for them all, but Jonah is not bringing the resources of his faith to bear on the suffering of his fellow citizens. His private faith is of no public good. When I read that, I was like, wow. Yeah, that, that Th- is good. That's like, it's, that's very convicting, you know, where, where that goes back to, it reminds me of that quote where it's just like, if, if our church ceased to exist, would our town notice, you know, it's like, we should be the light of our town. So Jonah Every, ceased to exist, and it didn't matter because yeah. he wasn't contributing anything. Right, and they were like, "Yo, wait, yeah, like, what, what, at bare minimum, we know you have a god." They like pray, yeah. do something. We're, yeah. we're, it's <laughs> yeah. like, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I read that and I was like, "Wow, you know, that's that's heavy." Um, so like Matthew five sixteen, let your light shine so before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's the difference between Jonah and then Paul, mm. where it's like they saw what he did, they saw his faith, they saw his trust, his lack of fear. And at the end, they broke bread with him and praised him. He was, you know, so. Mm. Yeah. So one one thing I want to uh, challenge our listeners with this week. To, oh, two things. One, have a conversation like Joe and I are having right now with one person in your life. Like talk about like the deep, Bible with okay. someone. And you don't need to have 14 pages of notes. But I'm just telling you the amount of not... Yeah, the amount of joy. I don't care if that sounds corny. The amount of joy <laughs> these conversations bring. Say we won. Yeah, yeah, it's our podcast. Um, the amount of joy and like blessing that comes from these types of conversations. Um, if no one ever listens to this podcast, people are, by the way. Don't, don't stop listening because you think you're alone. Um, <laughs> if no one ever listened to it, I promise you these conversations would still happen. Mm-hmm. We recently had a conversation with a, a brother of ours who wants to have a non-believing person on the podcast – um, because they want uh, us to have an open conversation about what that would look like. And, you know, at the end of the person saying, like, we'd love to have them on, uh, Joe was like, why do we have to record it? Why don't we just talk to him? Yeah, and, we can just and, meet and, and the guy was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. we don't do this for listeners. We do this because it's the gospel that we care about. And um, that's the first thing. And the second one would be to talk about this stuff with someone who isn't a believer. Find a Ninevite. Find a Ninevite. You know, so for for challenging each other to do different things, I mean, that's one challenge I I feel confident in commissioning is have a conversation like this, like model what we do here in your own conversations across the dinner table. And hopefully, eventually, there'll be someone across the dinner table that doesn't already agree with you when you talk. And then I would also say, like, be transparent with your friends, your close friends of, like, when you fail. You know, like, when you you fail the Holy Spirit talking at you, but you failed. Yeah. It just happened to me. You just told me about this the other day. Yeah, the FedEx guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, Shout out to? And Josh. 
You got I, it? I figured his you name out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did. I did. Shout out to Josh. Uh, I know you're listening. So, um, But no, he uh, – yeah, he, he, I'll just tell him right now. But his – the FedEx truck is outside our warehouse, like, on, and he locked himself out. So I go out there and help him out, and we're out there for, like, an hour. And we eventually get in. And within that hour, he, like, there's, like, segments of where he just starts breaking down and crying. And I immediately felt the Holy Spirit talking to me, like, you got to pray for this man. And my excuse, my Tarshish, was I don't know his name. <laughs> and I should know his name because he's been – we've been buddies for like, <laughs> for like over a year yo, now. Jay. Yeah, like, yo, Joe, what's going on? Yeah. So uh, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to offend him more if I don't if, – if I admit that I don't know his name. You know, so I was like – so I just – so I didn't pray for him. And the excuse, my Tarshish, was that I didn't know his name. But now I know his name, so. Mm. All right, so we got it. So I'm just saying, so, so when you fail, it's, it's okay to fail. We're, we we yeah. do have that, but like air it out so that way – so like kind of what you said, like when you confess to be a Christian to our non-believers, well, now you're held to that standard. So there's a there's a positive to confessing because now they're looking at you, and you just – you basically said, okay, watch me, guys. Follow me as I follow Christ. Mm. So now all eyes on you. You better follow Christ. Um, and that's kind of the same thing where you tell your friends, like, I missed this opportunity – well, next time you see your friends, be like, yo, what happened? What's what's the update? Did you pray with them? Did you not? Like, what's going on? So Yeah, it's the same thing with, I think, uh, like parent models. Like, if you look up to your parents, like you, no matter, you're going to see your parents fail. It's how, because yeah. you have to. You just see them all. You're going to see them lose their temper on vacation. You're going right, to see right, them, right, like, right, arguing right. Yeah. while they're driving. And, like, how they handle that. Like, you're, you're going to be a hypocrite at some point. Mm-hmm. You have to be, because you're flesh. Yeah. yeah. It's how you handle that and recover and yeah. try. And, like, that authenticity of, of seeing people Try and fail is right. appreciated. When dad has to untangle the Christmas lights to put on the tree, you'll see him flip out. Yeah, you'll yeah, see him. It's, yeah, yeah, sure. it's Clean like, the gutters for the third time yeah. that month. <laughs> yeah, and I just want to give cool updates. So we, um, for a couple of people that were on the podcast recently, uh, Pastor Josh yep. Lawrence, he just preached at our church. Um, he um, did great. It was one of my favorite sermons probably of all time. Uh, hit on a lot of points that we bring up on here, so I was excited yeah. that he brought them to the pulpit too. <laughs> And um, so if you want to watch that sermon, it'll be on the Cabbage Apple Hamilton uh, YouTube page. Well, we can just put the link on here. Yeah, put the link on here. But if, uh, I encourage you to watch other sermons that our church has out. But like, if you liked his podcast episode yeah. and you want to continue to listen to his um, testimony, there's a lot of stuff that he did not talk about in the podcast because uh, we had five people, uh, six people sitting down with us that night. Um, and we were shared the time. But he shared a lot of stuff that really – the Holy Spirit really spoke to me when he shared stuff about Kenya and, and the state of poverty and the children. That, mm-hmm. And um, one of the things he talks about, which I'm just going to reiterate right now, if you don't listen to that one and happen to listen to this one, uh, he has an opportunity for you to feed the children in, in uh, Eldorat, Kenya. Um, he just talks about if they have like an event for kids, they'll have like 200 kids come out and then like 20 of them won't go home because they don't have a home and they're going to go home and they're going to go and die from there. And mm-hmm. so the, the money that you give to the church – um, say you do $50 a month, I think is the minimum, that money will keep those children alive that month. And he said their goal is not to keep them alive forever because it's an impossible goal with the amount of poverty they see. Their goal is to keep them alive long enough for them to meet Jesus. And that that phrase alone made me tear up. Yeah. Like they're not trying to and give them li- – they're not trying to give them water at all. They're they're just giving them living water. Yeah, yeah. They want to give them water long enough to give them living water. Right, right, right. Which, um, and I've yes. never heard a phrase like that. It's like that's like a like a lump in your throat, thinking mm-hmm. like he's just there's 20 kids there where he's just looking him in their eyes, saying like I really hope you meet Christ before you die tomorrow. Mm. Um, and like that that makes me want to give whatever I normally would give. Right. And my wife and I've been praying for um, about 
whether we should sponsor a kid or like where to, and there's so many things. The only thing that was holding us back, and I guess it's a Tarshish, but it was like, I hear so many things about giving money to organizations and you find out like 90% of it goes to like the, the, the people who run it and very little goes to the, mm-hmm. the kids and stuff. And this one was like, all right, this is it. Like, this is the one. Yes, yeah, directly. Right. Um, so anyway, if you want to uh, contribute to that uh, under his podcast episode and maybe even under this will be a link to that website. And on that website, you can see him talk about it and um, everything like that. And two, we're having another reoccurring guest on soon, um, Chuck Thornley. Um, came in and spoke about the crisis pregnancy center that him and his wife run. And that was one of my favorite episodes so far because I learned so much about yeah. what the pro-life people do beyond just arguing about Yeah, beyond things. standing on street corners. Yeah. yeah. And so – but we were looking forward to having him on because we want to digest the Roe v. Wade decision that was just made um, in uh, at the federal level and what that means for believers. And he said he would love to clarify some of the misconceptions and um, really just talk through it and – that's going to be literally straight learning for me. I'm not going to know yeah. anything about it. <laughs> I'm just going to be like, okay. So yeah. I, I mean, I know the gist and I'll, I'll study up more, um, but I know that the, the surprisingly Christians are completely divided over this decision, which I hmm. makes me a little for bit- For good reasons or for- in, in my, Yeah, we'll talk about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned yeah. um, in two weeks. So that one I'm, I'm looking forward to a lot. And if you are anyway curious about you know how we should feel about Roe v. Wade- um, as believers, I think that's one of the most relevant conversations to possibly have. And we don't want to shy away from it because it's a hot topic. We want to like actually talk about it biblically. And I think Chuck's mm-hmm. pastor Chuck does, does an awesome job about keeping Christ the center of those things and not making them politically oriented. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I last time we had him, he talked about different laws. And I never heard the word Republican or Democrat. It was just, these are laws yeah, on the books. Are, it's what know, it is. Yeah. yeah and, this is what it is. Yeah. And, he, and that, that was refreshing that he was talking about the, the real trauma and stuff that they like, all ideologies aside, you know, this is what it is. And this yeah. is what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Thank you so much for tuning into the Encounter podcast and being part of the Encounter community. We treat this podcast as a ministry. We pray for it. We pray for our listeners and we pray that the guests and the information and the gospel that we share on this channel and this media platform are always and only glorifying to Christ and Christ alone. And while we do that, guys, our podcast sometimes spans one to three hours. So if you hear anything that you disagree with while we are speaking, which is highly likely, be Berean Christians, you have a few options. The first one would be to take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. The second one would be to know that your and our authority should be and always be the scripture. So before you take anything at our word, please open the pages of your Bible, read them and find out what absolute truth looks like. Find it. And then the next step would be to reach out to us. And we would love to learn from our listeners um, as you are listening through a one-way communication to about our podcast. So please reach out to us with questions, concerns. We want to be held accountable. We want to have conversations. We want to see actual growth. But first, take a deep breath. Second, open your Bible. And three, give us a shout out. Have a blessed week.